welcome to your best riding life, an extension of the Blue Ridge Mountains Christian Riders Conference held in the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina. I'm your host, Linda Goldfarb. Each week I bring you tips and strategies from experts in the writing and publishing industry to help you excel in your craft. I'm so very glad that you're listening in today. Today, we're going to be bringing you strategies and tips on story creation and inspiration. My industry expert is James R. Hannibal. Former stealth pilot, James is no stranger to secrets and adventure. He has been shot at, locked up with surface-to-air missiles, and chased down a winding German road by a terrorist. He is a three-time Silver Falchon Award winner for his Section 13 Mysteries for Kids, a Carol and Sela Award winner for his clandestine service spy thrillers, and a Thriller Award finalist for his military thriller, Shadowmaker. James is also a multi-sense synesthete who sees and feels sounds and smells and hears flashes of light. So if he tells you the chocolate cake you offered smells blue and sticky, <laughs> take it as a compliment. James R. Hannibal, it is so good to have you back on Your Best Writing Life. It's great to be here. I'm so excited. Well, let's jump into this content for today, James. We're looking at story creation and inspiration. And you talk about story beats and that all stories are made up of the same basic story beats. I want you to explain what that is to us. And then how do we capitalize on this knowledge as writers? So uh, this comes goes back to Joseph Campbell. So a lot of writers are very familiar with the hero's journey. And, you know, Campbell was a mythologist and an amateur psychologist. And he created the, the Hero with a Thousand Faces was the, was the book. And, and he went through the mythologies uh, across time and all over the world and identified these story beats that are common to all these stories. He had his own theories about why that is, why every story we write seems to have these same points. Um, I think he attributed it to the Kantian collective unconscious. I attribute it to a loving creator who desires fellowship with us and helps us and wants us to help us connect with his story and um, the story of his seeking fellowship with us, uh, pursuing us. Uh, but whatever your theory on why they exist, the story beats are there. They're inside all of us. And so as writers, if we understand that and how to apply those story beats best, then it helps us connect with our readers. Okay. So how is it possible then? How, well, how do we capitalize on it? <laughs> By understanding how those beats and, uh, and, and where they fall into place. So, um, you know, from a, uh, I, I've looked at this from Campbell's perspective. I've looked at this from Christopher Fogler's perspective. And for balance, I've gone to Stephen James, who uh -huh. uh, sort of rejects all structure in that way. You know, in, you know, if you go to his book, Story Trump Structure, it's an awesome balance to uh, any kind of, uh, of structured approach to fiction writing. But taking all that into consideration, I, I put things into, into sort of four phases of the story. 
And uh, you know, we don't want to make that 25%, 50%, 75, 100. We, we just want to understand that there are four phases. How those fall out in the timing of the story is going to vary in good writing. But we, you know, we understand that every story starts in the ordinary world of the, the hero. And we understand, we kind of get an idea of what the hero's comfort zone is and what underlying struggles exist for the, for the hero, what their goals are, even though those goals may change or be modified as the story affects them. And then that kicks the hero into uh, what at some point through the um, through these beats of story, what I call the spark, you have sort of the inciting incident, um, but there may also be a spark that pushes the hero uh, uh, further in. And that takes him into the sort of the orientation phase where the, where the hero is forced out of that comfort zone, out of that ordinary world and into the story. And then uh, through the orientation phase, allies are found, uh, just like in, in the traditional hero's journey. They come up with a plan for how to accomplish whatever the new goal is for the hero. And they're going to run into uh, some kind of ordeal that, that sets them back. And we have that centerpiece of the story is two parts. It's got the big giant setting. The, the Star Wars franchise sort of hits it on the nose over and over again with the Death Star. We have this dark, grand, central setting where the hero is going to experience some form of symbolic or literal death and resurrection. And then we move on from there. Now we have a new understanding of the goal and a new understanding of how to accomplish that goal. And so we go through another phase that was very similar to the orientation phase, but uh, we have more command of our story, at least the hero does. And through that, uh, we might experience at the very end of that phase another uh, a similar ordeal, and then the final battle that takes us on to victory. So that's a really, really quick summary of, of how the story beats lay out, and your listeners, I'm sure, will recognize elements of the hero's journey there. You know, James, the fact that this is the hero's journey and that we were designed to walk in such a way that we follow the guidance of our hero for a better term, which is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and via the guidance of the Holy Spirit, for us to be able to walk that way in our real life, I find that if we choose to write that way, then we are, in essence, following the design that God gave us to step out our life and to know that we are going to have struggles, we are going to have issues. So we're really mirroring true life when we write. And the closer we can come to replicating that in our fiction writing, it draws everyone in. They're waiting. And then we have at the end where now we see all things are possible. And we have that gratified sense of God at work. Not every story, though, has a happy, happy, happy ending, does it? No. And so, you know, you have to differentiate between what your character defines as victory and what you as the writer define as victory for the story. So just because every story has its victory in one form or another, unless we completely reject this form and these story beats, or at least the ending portion of the story beats, um, even stories that end with a death, there is a victory in perhaps the character's new understanding of life. There's a victory in the emotional growth of the character. There's a victory in the sacrifice that the character makes if it's the character is the one that dies. 
So yes, yes, stories can follow this form and should follow this form. And like I said, not in a in a formulaic sense, but in, in terms of incorporating these story beats to connect with the readers. But it does not mean that every story has the happy ending. That to me is what really does bring me closer to wanting to know more about the characters and also waiting for the next book in the series to come out. I want to know what's next, what's going to happen next. And you've grabbed my attention. You've taken me on a journey. I've experienced the victory because the victory has been brought to my sense of understanding, as you said, with the character or with the author's idea, concept of victory. And then we can go on from there. I do see how these story beats are in every type of story, even when we look at the stories that Jesus would share in the Bible, when we read the stories in the life of Samson, I mean, didn't have the best ending, but we could see that there was some type of victory there, not necessarily what he was probably wanting, but we always can see that there is a uplift or a place that we can stop and take a breath and then move on from there. So this is really good. Is there something else you want to share with us on story beats before we move on to Hollywood versus novel writing? Well, you know what? That actually plays right into to it. Um, Perfect. Because, you know, we we just talked about the story beats. And you know, when I when I come and speak at, at various conferences, uh, I go into to depth on those. But, um, you know, Hollywood takes it to a formula. And this does go back to Christopher Fogler's work. His uh, writer's journey started as a memo, became a book, and then became sort of uh, the guide for all screenwriting in terms of when things happen and how. And so a lot of movies, in fact, most movies between 1995 and the present, and even before that, even though, though it wasn't fully understood before about 1995, you can hit the pause button halfway through and you're at the symbolic death and re resurrection scene. You know, you can hit the pause button 25% of the way through the movie and you're at the inciting incident uh, or the spark that kicks the uh, hero into the next phase of the story. And so it, it just follows it almost religiously, sorry, this formula. And we as novel writers are not bound to that near as much. Uh, it actually does work in screenwriting much better than it works in the writing of novels. We have a, a lot more flexibility in where these phases fall in terms of how big one phase is compared to another. Or if we do it as a three phase. And so we sort of jump from the, we sort of combine the orientation and the seizing the sword phase or, or the wanderer and the soldier phase sort of get combined into a, into a three part story. We have all that flexibility as novel writers that we don't see in screenwriting just because of the, you know, in 90 minutes, you have to tell the story. There's actually not that much wiggle room. And those who have tried to buck that trend or buck that style, they get they take abuse. So, so uh, one of the last couple of Marvel movies in the big combined Marvel world tried to reject the, the story beats. And one of the Star Wars movies tried to reject the story beats. And both of those movies suffered greatly at the hands of the fans because they did not have that feeling of satisfaction. They did not connect with even the center or the middle of the story, let alone the ending, because all structure had been thrown aside 
and people got fired and and people were rehired and and anyway it was a you know it, a lots of turmoil and chaos all from throwing aside the story beats mm. and i will tell you if there's expectation on the part of the reader expectation on the part of the viewer and you leave it out or you skip it i can see how there will be frustration but it's the same for me when you say formulaic there are some of the feel-good movies that are out there on certain channels that you can, you know, key into those channels. And it's like, you know, this is going to happen, and then the Miss Kiss is going to happen, and then there's a trio or a quartet that's going to sing something. And then, oh, no, I was mistaken, and the heroine is seen as, oh, maybe she doesn't love me or he doesn't love me. They walk away. Then they go, oh, never mind. I really do love you. They come back. They finally kiss. And so you can actually play it out, and you know that all of those elements are going to be in there. At first, when I watched some of them, I was like, I don't like that because I, yeah, this is going to happen. You know, then there it happened and there it happened. But I changed my mindset about these types of movies. I stopped watching them for anything other than entertainment. Right. The, the fun and of it. And, and, and I, yeah, I, I think we've seen that reaction to a couple of items in that world. Recently, um, there was uh, some vehement frustration from fans on one particular show that wanted to just do something unexpected. Um, mm -hmm. And so in that genre, the same thing applies where uh, formulaic is the style and formulaic is what's expected uh, because that's what the, the viewers have a very nice comfort zone in, in, in how they're watching that. Absolutely. And if you have a lot of viewers watching, it's kind of like if they say, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. <laughs> right. So we want to go with whatever's already drawing them in. And there can be, as you said, some individuals or even writers that go, well, I want to do mine differently. And that's where you want to say, okay, that's good. Expect different results then, because you're not going to get the same type of result if you try to stay far away from the story beats concept and i like what you say you know just don't don't have it come out as formulaic or oh i saw that coming the ones that get me are the ones where i go and so didn't see that coming i really i'm like i will read everything this author writes because i really like that so very good it's it's you know Stephen James and Brandon Sanderson both say the same thing about that is that you need to end a chapter or a section or scene um, with something that is unexpected but inevitable. I think is the phrase yes. that they use, and that's a that's a hard trick to master, but it's a necessary trick when you want to write stories that aren't predictable. Mm. And I like it. It's not a trick as in something that is negative, folks. It's that element of surprise, that finesse, that style of finesse in your writing where you go, oh, I can so now see where that came from. Because it can't be something that's out of the blue that there was no Easter eggs to. There was nothing, you know, if you're really observant and nothing was put in the front end for us to know what was coming here, it can be bizarre. 
it's kind of like, you know, James, I write on personalities. And when I discover the personality of a particular character and they're going through and then all of a sudden something that is contrary to their nature, their reaction, their response, and I have no privilege to the trigger, that's when I'm waiting for it then because something is going to have to reveal that trigger or there's no way that person would have reacted the way that they did. So I always look for that kind of reference in writing or also on the screen if I'm watching a movie. So sure, I appreciate yes. that you that you brought that up. All right, well, let's look at story inspiration. How do we prepare ourselves for inspiration? I like that phraseology there. How do we prepare ourselves for inspiration? And that's, you know, one of the biggest question, one of the most common questions, I should say, that I, that I receive um, from students, from writers, uh, any, anywhere that I speak is, well, where did you, the ideas for your story come from? You know, how did you stumble upon this idea? Well, I, I didn't stumble upon this idea per se. I prepared my, you know, my mind has been prepared over years and years of, of learning and experience to receive that moment. For instance, I was in London looking for 221B Baker Street. And I, you know, purposely set aside the Google Maps. I just wanted to explore and, and, and do it myself and uh, found it through the Jubilee line on the tube. And you're, as you're coming in, you're seeing all of these wonderful uh, pieces of art from the original Sherlock Holmes stories uh, in the tile of the rounded tube walls. And then you get off the tube and you see this sign and it says Baker Street, but it also has a sign that's almost as big that says the Lost Property Office. And the reason it's so big is it's the main lost property office for all of London. And, and if you're not familiar with that term from uh, Europe or from England, it is uh, lost and found. And I wasn't familiar with that term when I first discovered it. And so I, I said, well, this lost property office sounds fun and formal. So I followed the signs. And here was this place on Baker Street, a couple doors down from Sherlock Holmes's famous address that is the lost and found for all of London for the last 80 plus years. Instantly, I was ready because of, of my knowledge of English mythology, of my knowledge of politics in that area and everything else, the story just began to flow. And that became the lost property office that was optioned by Columbia Pictures, though the movie wasn't made. But we're still sort of on the hunt for that one. And uh, you know, probably my best-selling series all came from just being ready for that moment when I stumbled across the lost property office. And that's uh, section 13. Mysteries. It is, and yes. The Section 13 Mysteries. Fabu fabulous series. Folks, I'm just sorry. This is just a blatant plug out there. <laughs> fabulous series. I've read every book, and I will tell you, it just kept my attention, kept me turning the page. I would smile. I would smirk. I would gasp. I would go, okay, okay. It just kept you going. Excellent writing and page turn after page turn after page turn. I highly recommend that to young adults and you're not so young adults. Everybody, yeah, they just need to read. Uh, eight to 80, so that we like that age range. <laughs> I like that too. That is so good. Very, very good. All right, so when we're looking at the story inspiration, as you said, you were alert. You knew where you were going, but you were alert to the ahas. 
And I think that's what makes a cutting edge difference. You had no idea about that large sign going to be appearing just a few doors down from Sherlock Holmes's famous Baker Street address, but you were alert to it. And what can I do with that? I think if everyone found things and went, what can I do with that? Right? What are your thoughts? And the ability to answer that question or to recognize it when it happens comes from knowing your genre. So for instance, in the military thriller genre, um, I stay Mm. up to date on technology and geopolitics. I get multiple newsletters that I'm constantly checking to see what's happening right now. What are the new uh, military technology contracts that are happening? And so when something pops up, I'm ready for that. I'm staying in tune with what are the trends in, in the fiction right now and what's, you know, what sort of relationships are popular right now and stuff like that. Even though I'm not a slave to that, I'm, you know, that stuff is, is in my brain. Um, and so that, that goes back to, the, I think, the study. And then when you have lived and have some experience to give that some context, it really helps. So one of the biggest questions I get or one of the problems that, that are expressed to me when I go and teach is I get the, the English major straight out of college or in uh, his or her senior year that says, how am I, how do I know what to write about? You know, I've have all the, I've learned about all the, the mechanics and the techniques and I've read the classics and all this other stuff. But how do I know what I'm supposed to write about? And my answer always is you need to go out and live. You need mm. to go out and, you know, get a job, go out and experience the world the way that God wants you to experience and to find out what his will for you is. And if you go out and live that for a while, then you'll have that sort of experience bucket filled as well as the knowledge bucket filled. And then when that best-selling novel inspiration is lying there in the road, you'll be able to see it and pick it up. Mm, I do like that. Experience, you, you can't buy it. You have to live it. You've got to live it. It's not going to be in the textbooks. And that's greatly appreciated. Thank you so much. All right, now let's look at collaborative storytelling. So collaborative storytelling is becoming more and more um, a thing. Uh, uh, so depending on on your genre and ABA versus CBA, the uh, it's it's harder and harder to to jump onto the shelf. So there's two, there's a couple of different types of collaborative storytelling. Of course, we have the brands like Clancy and Custler and, and Ludlam, uh, who those individuals have passed on. And you have new writers writing their legacy under their name with Tom Clancy's command authority with Mark Greeny. Well, Mark actually wrote the book, right? And so that one is you're working with an editor who is very, very familiar with the series. And that's sort of that process. And then you have where it's just a pair of authors that want to get together and work on a project. Um, And I think that's a little bit of the harder nut to crack because there has to be a decision maker in that relationship. And so for my collaborative storytelling, I'm working with James R. Brown in the Light Raiders games, which are story games. And so uh, we're telling very big stories with each game that we produce. And in that case, I'm the intellectual property owner. And so I I end up with the final say. Um, But then there's the balance of recognizing James's 
incredible experience as someone who has written on the One Ring games for the Tolkien estate, um, who knows his stuff very, very well, as is a genius in game development and integrating game mechanics with story and things like that. So uh, yeah, even though I get final say, there's a lot of times when I go, yeah, I have to sit back and go, this James is James has a handle on this way better than I do. And so let's go that way and and run with it. And it is tapping into each other's strengths and not looking at it. When when you're doing that type of collaborative writing, I know with nonfiction, like Linda Gilden and myself, we both write the Linked Personality series. What's really great with that is that we're opposite personalities. So when we come together, we kind of complete each other. <laughs> and in that essence, if I off the top of my head go, well, you know, an organizer is more, has a tendency to this. And she'll look at me and go, no, we really don't. We do this for this purpose. So in that essence, it works in nonfiction as well. But always knowing there has to be, the buck has to stop. The pen has to stop, has to be put down. Someone has to have that charge in a collaborative writing partnership. They do. And um, that needs to be established at the very beginning. There is one story, and and I won't share the names Mm -hmm. of the writers, but where I I have been told that uh, that became a butting of heads and and it wasn't, there wasn't any sort of recognition from the start of of who had the final say or who was in charge. Mm -hmm. And so that began to fall apart. And so obviously it's a very, very important part of the collaborative process is yes, there's two of us here, but without someone with the final say and knowing who's going to have that final say from the get-go can create some issues. Absolutely. And get it in writing, folks. Everything in writing. You can be doing something with your best friend. Get it in writing. You could be writing with a spouse. Get it in writing. It's not you against each other. You just go to what you already agreed on. And then you go, oh, look, right here it says that we agreed to this. Makes it so much sweeter, so much It does. It's easier that way. All right. Any last tips that you have on this particular topic that you want to share with our listeners before I give you a moment to talk a little bit about some of the books that you have out? Any last thought you'd like to share with our listeners? Uh, no other than it is a joy. We've talked about the dangers uh, of, of collaborative writing, but also I, I, I don't want to miss out on, on just the joy of it and to be able to um, just expand the, the horizon or expand the volume of a world you can build when you put two brains together. Mm, that's excellent. So we've received a lot of information today and something for everyone to take away as far as with story creation and inspiration itself. And we will have the means for you to find out more about uh, James Hannibal, his location, even Light Raiders information. Let's talk for a moment about Wolf Soldier that came out in October of 2021. And then I know you have a new one that's coming out from Ravel. 
Yes. So Wolf Soldier is the first novel in our Light Raiders realm. And, and this is an interconnected realm of games and stories where everything is joined in one form or another. For instance, we have our first watch scripture memory and application game. And if you go through Wolf Soldier, you'll find scriptures sort of hidden in there, uh, spoken in the elder tongue. And you'll be able to find verses from the first watch deck that are your memory verses in the story of Wolf Soldier. And you'll be able to recognize the allegorical effects and how that relates to the real world application of the scriptures by just knowing those verses. And then as you read the story, it's like finding Easter eggs. And we've, we've done that even more with Bear Knight, which comes out next year. But Wolf Soldier is sort of a, it's the rekindling of this world. So this was a game from the 1980s, the Dragon Raid game that uh, sort of went dormant for about 35 years. And then we took over the intellectual property and, and we're reviving this world and the discipleship principles created by the original uh, designer, Dick Wolf. So in the same way, the story in Wolf Soldier is all about the rekindling of the fires of the Light Raider Order. And so the knights uh, were of the Light Raider Order were ordered to stop going out on missions into the Dragonlands to rescue the Aladoth two generations earlier. And because of that, the liberated land of, of Keledev has let evil sort of fester at the gate, and now it's encroaching across their borders, and the Light Raiders are needed. And so Connor and his friends, these young potentials are going to rekindle the fires of the order and join the academy as cadets, but there's no time. So they're going to end up uh, heading out on a mission to stop a dragon invasion before they're even fully trained. And of course, that can create all sorts of danger and fun. I like that you said fun because <laughs> there is fun. There is fun. There is danger. There is excitement. And there is that fun element that really kind of endears us to all of the characters in Wolf Soldier. All right. I know you have uh, June 7th. We're looking at having a new release from Ravel. What do we've got going? So uh, this is uh, originally a standalone, you know, unless, uh, you know, if the readers want to make a lot of noise about getting a, a second out there, we're already getting some reviews that say we love these characters, we want to see more. Um, but this is Dr. Peter Chesterfield. He is a neurosurgeon in London, uh, who's a bit of a workaholic. Um, which, you know, if, uh, if you have experience with workaholism, as I do, you know it can make you a grumpy Gus. And so after a blow up with a colleague, he is sent on a forced vacation to Maui. So we have a wonderful setting out there in Maui at the big uh, Elysium Grand uh, Resort. But while he is out there on this forced vacation, he comes across an injured woman who dies in his arms, despite all his medical knowledge, and becomes obsessed with finding her killer. And naturally, this puts him uh, in the way of the local homicide detective uh, and also the head of the gang task force. And so that sort of hijinks of this British doctor um, intersecting with this uh, the Hawaii Police Department, uh, all to stop uh, what turns out to be a much deeper conspiracy than they first suspect. So that is Elysium Tide, and, and I'm very, very excited about its June release. Oh, I am too. I know you've been doing a lot of writing, a lot of researching, a lot of work also on Light Raiders, and we have the links to everything that's going on with James in our show notes. We'd love for you to connect with him Get his thoughts, ask his thoughts, find out what's going on. Go visit his website. You will love his website. It's fantastic. And James, you have given us great content here today, my friend. 
so appreciate you taking precious time out of out of your day to be here with us and hope to have you come back on again. Oh, well, thank you very much. It's been really fun. Always wonderful to talk to you, Linda. So I can't wait for the next time. All right. And thank you, my friends, for joining us. Please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review because what you have to say matters as much as what you have to write. This is Linda Goldfarb, and I look forward to being here with you next time on Your Best Writing Life.